Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. Some of you may remember a few weeks ago, we did an interview with Walt Hayer, who was a former a transgender person who realized that transitioning uh, from male to female had not, in fact, helped his gender dysphoria, but instead had basically destroyed his life, uh, was how he explained it to me on this show. And one of the things that we really want to do on this show is to explore the stories that the mainstream media refuses to cover. And one of the biggest stories uh, currently that the media won't cover, despite the fact that it is one of the trends that deserves the most attention in our current cultural climate, is detransitioners. Now, many of you will probably be able to guess what detransitioners are. A detransitioner is somebody like Walt Hayer who began to transition from male to female, or in Walt Hayer's case, actually did so, but then realized that this was a mistake. And just how tragic and just how permanent that mistake is, of course, is based on how far along in that process they get. Transgender activists have been desperately trying to keep these stories out of the news. And people uh, who have become detransitioners or people who have simply questioned the transgender orthodoxy, that so-called affirmative care, you can you notice here that this is sort of insidiously Orwellian because affirmative means not affirming the gender that they were born into, not affirming the biological reality, but rather affirming the gender dysphoric delusion that a male may be in fact a female or a biological female might be a biological male. And so these are the kinds of stories that on this show we want to highlight so that you can get the news that the mainstream media isn't telling you and that so you can realize that there is another side to these issues. That the transgender movement is actually hurting an enormous number of people by pushing this ideology of transition, by stating that you can change your sex, that you can change your gender. And so one of the people... I wanted to speak with is is a young man named Jeffrey McCall, uh, who began experiencing same-sex attraction when he was very young, when he was 12 years old, uh, began to live that lifestyle out by the age of 15, and then eventually began to live as a woman. I don't want to give you uh, too many of the details of the story, of course, because that's why we're, we're having him on the show, so he can tell you his story himself. But I want you to really listen to the details of Jeffrey McCall's story and think about what would have happened if he'd been a little bit further on down this path. And also uh, to recognize that this this weird schizophrenia in the transgender movement, the, the, this, uh, this idea that you can both be born into the wrong body, but also uh, that you can switch back and forth. There are stories that have been covered in the British press, for example, of a supposedly transgender person who felt as if he was a female some days and a male other days. So this ideology is, is very conflicting. Uh, it has no philosophical coherence to it, and they're still apparently just trying to, to work everything out. But stories like like Jeffrey McCall's really shine a light on the human rubble that is being left in the wake 
of the transgender movement. And this is this is the rubble that you're not supposed to pay attention to. These are the people that you're not supposed to listen to. Uh, but we uh, think that these stories are really, really essential. And we're glad that you're tuning in to, to expose yourself to a different point of view. So this is Jeffrey McCall's story, which he was kind enough and brave enough uh, to come on and share with us. Well, Jeffrey, just to start off, could you tell our listeners a bit about your story? It's quite a, an extraordinary story. Um, and so, yeah, just, just introduce yourself to our listeners. Hey, well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Jeffrey McCall. I'm from Royston, Georgia. And a little bit about my story, just to give a synopsis before I go into it, is it's just a story of uh, my identity. Uh, being in, involved in homosexuality and then my identity as Scarlet, living transgender for years. And, and my story is about leaving that lifestyle to follow the Lord. So getting more into uh, the specifics, the chronology, the timeline uh, of your story, because transgenderism, I think, is probably is probably the most prominent cultural issue uh, at the moment. Uh, of course, we have a lot of different... Um, we have a lot of different culture wars raging simultaneously, but the transgender issue has really cropped up in the last five, six, seven years. Uh, a lot of people don't know where it came from and simply don't understand it. So if you could just sort of walk us through your story, um, you struggled with, with homosexuality and then eventually uh, you you ended up identifying as transgender. So just t- tell us a bit about your story. Walk us through uh, what happened and what your life has been like. Yeah, so around uh, around 12 years old, I had my first thoughts. I knew I was different. I was thinking about guys instead of girls. And by 15 years old, I acted out on those thoughts. Uh, from 15 to 27, I lived in an identity of that I was homosexual, that I was uh, more of a woman. I always felt more feminine. I always felt like I was more of a woman in the relationships and all these things. And around 27 years old after college, um, I really had a time where I really said, you know, I haven't even been successful uh, with other male partners in homosexual relationships. And, you know, I think that I need to transform. I think that I'm truly um, a woman. Um, and I remember just just thinking that, feeling that in the, the society um, of the United States in 2015 was really changing. Gay marriage had been legalized. And there was a lot of transgender rights issues going on. And so I just felt like it was just like I was going through those things at the same time. And I felt like, you know, this is what I need to do. I need to uh, become transgender um, and transition into a woman because that's who I truly am. And I'll never forget, I did my first um, drag show in the summer of 2014. And after that show, it was just so much more to me than a show. I thought, you know, this is what I want to transition into and become. And so I started seeing psychologists and psychiatrists around that time. And after just a few months of meeting them, um, the psychiatrist told me I had gender dysphoria, that I was really a woman in a man's body. Right. So here I am in my late 20s. Um, and I just began living a scarlet. I thought, this is what's going to make me happy. This is why, you know, things haven't worked out in my life. And and really, there there was a spiritual side to it, too, the enemy. Um, and, and when I say the enemy, to make it clear to your 
listeners, I mean, the devil, the demonic realm, there was a spiritual aspect, too, that wanted me to change into something that I was not credited to be. And so the further I went into trying to become Scarlet and trying to live as Scarlet, I just remember the heavier things got, the more depressed I got. I was suicidal at times. I even went to the hospital one time when I thought of committing suicide and and had to spend time there and under, um, you know, mental evaluation. Um, I just was, my life was miserable. I was promiscuous. Um, some days with more than one guy that day. Um, my life was just completely out of control. Um, the more depressed I got, the more I would drink. And um, so this was my life. Uh, my life was uh, moving fat on the fast track to becoming uh, or trying to become the opposite sex. And the uh, psychiatrist I was seeing when he told me I had gender dysphoria, he told me, you know, you basically have two options. You can start hormones or you can do surgeries or you can do both. Right. Um, and I told him I did not want to start hormones. Um, I said, I want to go very fast. I said, this is what I want. I need to become a woman quickly. I want to marry a man one day and, and adopt kids and all these things that I thought I wanted in my life. And so I told him, I said, I'm not going to start hormones, but I am going to quickly start having the surgery. And so he was very supportive of that. He diagnosed me with gender dysphoria. And so that's how my life was quickly um, evolving into that becoming my identity. So when you when you go in and you talk to a psychiatrist, um, how do they how do they diagnose somebody with gender dysphoria to begin with? And then what is the process like to begin um, hormone treatments? So in your case, I guess that would have been estrogen and then being considered for the surgeries. Or is it, do you just sort of get rushed through it? Yeah, so it was very rushed through it. Um, I was, like I said, I saw, I saw two different psychiatrists during my time in graduate school. I was getting a master's in history. And it was during those years that I was living at Scarlet. And it was then that I... Um, was seeing him and it was just within a couple of months that he diagnosed me with gender dysphoria after knowing me and basically how he um, when he told me I had gender dysphoria and how he did it was you know simple questions and talking to him and just telling him that I felt like a woman that I started dressing like a woman um, that I was you know you know seeing men as a woman that I was like wanting to become this life of, of Scarlet the name I went by and just within a couple of months, he said that I had gender dysphoria. So that was basically how the diagnosis started. And so where did you go from there when, when he suggested, well, you can either do hormone treatments or you can do surgery or both, and you said, well, I want to go for the surgery. What was the next step? So the next step was to begin the surgeries. I did not have the, the I did not have any of the funding at that time to begin to start having surgery. So it was just really my next steps was really um, living as Scarlet. I started going to graduate school as Scarlet. I started going to my classes as Scarlet. I told my professors I was living as Scarlet. I was dating a man as Scarlet. So Scarlet, my identity was um, in that. And uh, I just knew that when I graduated with my master's and got a job and things like that, that when I had the funds, I would begin the surgery. So my story changed uh, changed swiftly in 2016, the end. It was the last semester of graduate school, and I just had an encounter with God. And I remember I broke down, and I was crying, and I was just done. I was done with 
just giving myself away to men. I was done with just my identity and everything that I thought I was. Nothing was working the way that I thought I wanted it to. And uh, I knew that if I had the funds that I was going to quickly begin surgeries, there was like this last minute just calling out to God. And I remember I was in my apartment and I was alone and I just laid on my bed and I was weeping. I was weeping so hard, a weeping from my soul. I was I was crying and, and just mourning. And I was just like, I, I called out to him. You know, I'd always heard about God. But to me, it was like, God's there. I'm here. And uh I just cried out to him alone that night as I was weeping. And I said, God, I know people live for you, not just go to church on Sunday. Like something happened in their life and they have joy and peace and love and all these things. And I just said, the last thing I said was, I said, but will I live for you? And through all that weeping and crying, there was just a peace and just a stillness and quietness that came in my mind. And I heard him so clear say, yes, you will live for me. And it was from there. It was like a sea. It was like a sand, like a, like as tiny as like you see like a piece of sand of like hope was put in me that day. And um, it was months later that I took my life in scarlet. And I threw it in a dumpster, all my clothes, my hair, dresses, makeup, jewelry, shoes. It was my whole identity of who I was becoming. Um, and about to start having physical surgeries on my body to even live fully as Scarlet. I took all that to a dumpster. I threw it away. And that was my process beginning with God of just realizing that he created me as Jeffrey McCall. He didn't create me as Scarlet. And the further I was trying to change into something that he had not created, the further I was depressed and suicidal, and the further I had any joy or peace, it was it was horrible. And so that was my beginning process with God. So tell us a little bit about your background. We'll back up. We'll back up just just a moment because what was it like? What was your background like? Was were your parents Christian? What kind of family did you come from when you were experimenting, uh, essentially experimenting with your sexuality as a young man, and then later um, becoming identifying as a transgender person? What was uh, what was the reaction of, of your family? What was your background like at that time? Yeah, so I grew up in a uh, Christian background. My mother and my dad were Christians. Um, so I grew up hearing about homosexuality or transgender or things like that. We really didn't hear about transgender things when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, I was born in 87, so grew up as a kid through the 90s and teenager years through the early 2000s. So we heard a lot about homosexuality because so many shows had come out in movies, and there was always a gay character. So I grew up hearing about that, but never really transgender things. Um, so growing up in a Christian home, you know, I just heard about it as in this is something that the Lord is not, um, that the Lord doesn't want, that God doesn't want for people to live in. So that's kind of what I heard growing up, and that's kind of what, I thought of. Now, as I went into the lifestyles, I kept everything secret and pushed back. Um, and then when I was living in Scarlet much later, both of my parents did hear and know about little things, but I stayed pretty much away from them. And then there came a point where I was very suicidal and depressed, and my dad would actually come up to my apartment and stay weekends with me. 
Um, and he just tried to encourage me and be there for me. He knew that I was very emotionally and mentally not well during that time. And so, uh, where were where were your um, family members and and everybody when you were when you were on this journey out of that lifestyle? Yeah, they were definitely around. Um, I have great uh, parents, as in that my dad and my mom. They both they were just amazing um, and supporting me uh, of coming out of the lifestyle and letting me know um, that they were there for me in any way that they could be. And so they were both a source of encouragement and a blessing in my life. And uh, it was awesome to know, you know, that they loved me and they supported me out of the lifestyle. Because when I left, uh, my identity as being part of the LGBTQ community and, you know, transgender and all those things, I lost about 95% of my friends. Um, you know, they were the ones that said, we support you no matter what, even when you're transitioning to Scarlet and all these things. But the minute I became a Christian and wanted to follow um, the Bible instead of what the world said about stuff, I lost, like I said, about 95% of them. And so it was, it was just a big transition, you know, I was kind of all alone during that period when I first became a Christian. So what was their response? I was going to ask you that because I've had conversations before with people who left the LGBT community and they all say that when they are part of it, it is a very welcoming environment, and then leaving it um, is it, you. You essentially get shunned. What was that experience like for you? If you can tell us, yeah. So um, yeah, that experience was very much like that for me. When I came out as a Christian and left the lifestyle, I was shunned by a lot of people in the LGBTQ community, and I was also shunned by people that are high supporters of that community that maybe identify as heterosexual, um, several women and, and people that were my friends growing up and stuff. Um, I lost a lot of those friends. They just saw it as you can't change who you are. Uh, you can't be someone else. We don't know why you're saying all this. And then a lot of people just didn't like the part about what I believed in God and that Jesus Christ was his son and that he paid for us and that there was actually sin and then there's things you know, that are sinful, that the Lord doesn't want us to be a part of. And just the whole thing I was going with and believing and that was being established in my spirit, they were not on the same level with that or not wanting to be a part of that. So to them, it was like, I was like coming against them or something. But, um, and that was fine with me. Once I started reading the Bible for myself, instead of always hearing what other people said about it, I learned that Jesus said that if you did follow him, you would lose your life. And I lost that old life. I lost everything that went with it. I lost almost all the people that went with it. But I just thought he was more important than what people thought. Did Did you have any good conversations with, the, with, with your former friends as you were leaving, when you were explaining things, explaining what had happened to you? Did, did any of them listen to you or, or find what you had gone through attractive in any way? Yeah, so there was like maybe one or two that would listen to me that I stayed friends with, you know, throughout. We didn't have so much in common, but we would still talk and things like that. Um, so yeah, there was like maybe one or two that kind of listened somewhat. But as the time progressed, I just noticed we had less and less in common and that kind of pulled away the relationship. 
So when you threw everything in the dumpster, what what happened after that? Going back now to that moment where where you essentially threw your your transgender alto ego Scarlet in, in the dumpster and the garbage can. Where did you go from there? Yeah. So from there, uh, my story continued. I had thrown away my life as Scarlet, but I remember I told God, I said, you know, I can throw away my life as Scarlet. It was getting worse and worse and worse. But my identity as being homosexual, like. That's just who I am. I can't do anything about that. And I remember that summer of 2016, the Lord just really worked with me. And uh, I had a major issue with creation because my degrees were both in history. And so I had studied a lot of history, which comes with a lot of archaeology and a lot of evolution-tied teaching. And I remember that summer, he just laid the groundwork. Um, God, the one true God. Uh, he was there for me as a father and he laid the groundwork of creation and started taking me, taking me to people with PhDs and other things and learning about, um, archaeology that matches creation and archaeology that matches the things of the Bible. And he just laid that groundwork. And then it was really, um, just accepting Jesus that summer is my savior. And, um, that was really how my life progressed. And as I started getting in the word for myself, and as I started obeying what the Lord was showing me, what he taught in the word, um, I just started growing. And there just came a peace and a joy and a love for people that I never had. And my walk just continued with him. And then from the beginning of of being a born-again Christian, uh, it was from there that the Lord laid on my heart and said, I want you to go out in this country and, and where I send you in the world, wherever, I want you to go out and share your story to help encourage others and and bring others into the kingdom of God. And so I just started sharing my story, and it was from there that uh, it just spread like wildfire. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's kind of how it all began. So what what has it been like going public with this story? Because this environment, the 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 culture wars environment, especially surrounding issues of uh, of sexuality and transgenderism, are extraordinarily toxic. And I've had uh, Walt Hare on this podcast. I've talked to quite a number of other people who have gone through similar experiences. But even when when the Atlantic magazine chose to cover the uh, the trend of, of detransitioners, de- as they're often called, the uh, pro-transgender journalist got viciously targeted simply for acknowledging the existence of people who had chosen to leave the transgender lifestyle. So what has it been like coming forward with your story at a time when it sort of seems as if there's only one choice and only one perspective that's considered legitimate in the in the public square and the court of public opinion at the moment? Oh, yeah, it's been quite an issue. Um, I have had to deal with this on many fronts. I, I know last year, um, when I, when they heard about the Freedom March where I was gathering other people with testimonies of leaving the LGBTQ lifestyles together in Washington, D.C., I actually got called by the gay magazine, um, the, the advocate and just other, um, secular, I guess, non-Christian, um, media outlets um, that were all very much trying to say that we were trying to physically change people's minds and that I was trying to make people change who they are. And what we always tell people, what I always tell people is that I'm just sharing my story and the power of the Holy Spirit of God that happened in my life and what he awoke me to and showed me. 
And so that's the same thing we share with these testimonies uh, all around the country. And when, when I share my story specifically, I'm sharing what God did in my life. And the backlash is that, like you said, that there could only be one narrative. There's not one narrative. That is not true. And it, it's so upsetting to me and so many other people that people are trying to say, like, there's only one narrative and you can only live this way and that's just how it is and there's no other way when that's not true. I know people that have been out of those lifestyles for 20, 30, 40 years. And, and, and so some of those people went on to get married. Some of those people go into a celibate lifestyle, whatever. But, uh, what I'm saying is, just like you said, there's not one narrative, but they really try to push me and other people to be quiet or don't share or they'll shut us, try to shut us down, our voices down or, or just speak against us or say that we're crazy or this is not possible. Um, so there's a lot of backlash against it, but I'm fine with that. I actually think it's good we have backlash come against us because those are the very people that I want to hear my story and I want them to hear the other stories the most is the people that that have issues with this because I know secretly inside so many of them want something else, want something more. So do you believe that the violent reaction to, to your testimony and to the, the activism that you're attempting to do with these marches for freedom uh, and other things, that this, this the violence of the reaction is a manifestation of the fact that they actually believe you have something they want or they're scared that you might be right? What do you think uh, that's all about? Where do you think that comes from? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I really think it's multiple things, and some of them would be what you said. I think some of them are violently opposed because they think that we will come against their rights, which we don't. We're just sharing our stories. I think some of them come against us because it stirs something inside of them, something they remember from being young and remember a feeling of knowing just something wasn't quite right with this whole sexual identity and that there could be something more that God had for them. I know so many people that may not admit it, but that feel that way. So I, I think there's a stirring in people. It also stirs up and makes people uncomfortable in the LGBTQ community because of that last incident that we were just talking about, um, where stirring up something in them because a lot of these people, the mainstream media, Hollywood, all these people have just condoned it, condoned, 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 um, homosexual behavior, transgender behavior, that it's like when someone speaks up something that's truth that goes against the narrative, it's like, it's like it rattles something in people because people want it to hear one thing. And then other people are sharing um, the truth out loud. So it does stir up something in people and revive something. And people that have just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear for a long time. And, and we notice and we see people all the time living in lifestyles for years and relationships and all these things. And, and hear about others and hear what God's doing and, and leave those lifestyles. And leave um, their partner and just say, I want to, to do something different. So... Yeah, it's um we're considered like dangerous <laughs> to those people from some of those people within. While also I do want to say because it gets such a negative report of the people coming against us, um, the people coming against us, yes, there are there's a group of those, but there's a group of people in the LGBTQ community that are so 
inquisitive of my life and other people's lives and they want to hear it and they want to see this other um, alternate form or path that you can take. They want to see and hear the stories and some of them even that stay in the lifestyle. I have friends that I, a few friends, like literally maybe two that I've stayed in contact with that live in lesbian and gay lifestyles and they're still my friend. I love them. They love me. And we talk. I, I just tried to see a friend of mine at, at the holidays and went to her home. So there are there is just a, a friendship there and a curiosity from them because they're interested. I, it's, it's something deep within them that's just interested in seeing what is this and what is the what are these people saying. So when you've been having these discussions, uh, one of the things that I've I found so interesting about your story and Walt Hayer's story and others just like it is that the the transgender movement, which has sort of been picking up speed over the last uh, five to six years, a lot of this stuff is very recent. As you mentioned earlier, uh, transgenderism wasn't even discussed in the 90s. This is all quite new in many ways. Do you see... A lot of people, uh, when they hear your testimony and when they when they come to your events, decide to uh, consider a different path to leave transgenderism. Because one of the things that you've written about and you've talked about in a lot of interviews is um, how horribly depressed you were when you were in that lifestyle, when you were prostituting yourself, when you were you know taking copious amounts of drugs, drinking heavily. And that, and that this lifestyle was essentially killing you. Do you see, do you meet other people who are still in that lifestyle and are sort of a mirror image of where you used to be and are looking to, to, to talk to you to find a way out? Yeah, so um, I have not ever, since I've been in administration sharing my story, I've never come across someone um, that specifically was like at the spot I was and wanted to come out. I do know other people that I met along this journey who were the same as me, that they lived um, in a transgender identity or in transsexual identities, things like that, that, have, that had also left around the same time I did or shortly after. So, like, um, I've met other people that are on the same journey, but I've never actually had a transgender person come to me personally and say, like, hey, because of your story, I want to leave. So I can't wait for that day when I do have that happen, because that's going to be amazing. But I've met so many people across the country and actually across the world um, through social media and online forums that have left these lifestyles of transgender. There's so many more than people know. It's just the mainstream media won't share that. Well, on this podcast, we're trying to talk about these stories. So share a few of the stories uh, that you have found so encouraging with our listeners. Yes. So um, there's just, you want me to share about someone else's story that's similar? Yeah, just just a couple of the stories you've found um, since sharing your story that you find really encouraging. Oh, yeah. So we had, I got to one guy in Los Angeles, California last year at the LA Freedom March. Um, I met him and he actually, I let him speak at the end with my speakers. I, I gather speakers that left, uh, lesbian, gay, transgender identities to follow Jesus Christ. I gathered them together for them to speak. So at this event, he heard about it going to be in LA and I actually met him and it was there that um i let him share and his story was of leaving um the transgender identity he was actually mis 
L.A. Pride of 2016, and it's just crazy. He left it all to follow Jesus, and he um, has a story just similar to mine, living transgender and the identity with that. Um, and so that was an amazing story because they actually, you know, here he is in 2016 as crowned, you know, Miss L.A. Pride at the pageant they have and the Pride stuff. And then a couple years later, here he is sharing his testimony of leaving it all to follow Jesus Christ. I had another story that's amazing from Texas, a lady who was in a relationship for eight years with another lady. And um, she just broke it off with the lady and told her, like, this is not who I am. Like, there's more. I know something is just not right with that. And she had struggled with drugs and alcohol, uh, mostly alcohol. And she said the more she got sober and she was getting years behind her sober, like the more time she went into being sober, she said the more it bothered her. And she went to God with it and went to spiritual guidance with it and just realized this was not what she wanted for her life, that she knew there was so much more God had for her. And she left that relationship and is really um been growing and learning with a church body there. So uh, there's just one story after another of people that have left that identity and they are having just a whole different outlook on life. And so it's just amazing and encouraging. So in terms of these freedom marches, I know a lot of people will have never heard of the freedom marches. So what are the freedom marches? Where do they happen? And, and, and how many people show up uh, to these marches? Yeah, so last year was the first Freedom March, but the idea came to my mind. There are people marching for everything in this country, all kinds of things <laughs> yeah. that I've never even heard of. I said, you know what? I said, why can't we have an event where people who left LGBTQ lifestyles to follow Jesus Christ because of their convictions? So I said, because of people's religious convictions, so many people are leaving those lifestyles. I said, there needs to be a place where these people can share their stories and testimonies and then march together. Why can't we publicly march in the streets? And the first place I wanted to go was Washington, D.C. And so this idea came to me around September of 2017. And by May 5th, 2018, I'd gotten the federal paperwork and all that. We did it on a federal grounds at the Sylvan Theater in Washington, D.C. It's right beside the Washington Monument. And we had testimony after testimony after testimony that day. And at the end, we gathered behind a huge banner, and we actually marched from the Sylvan Theater around the monument, around to the eclipse near the back of the White House. And so it was a between 50 and 75 people were there last May 5th. And just months later, on November 4th, in Los Angeles, California, we had our second one in the downtown area. We had testimonies and marched there. We had between two and 300 people. We didn't really take a count that were there. So it was about three times more. Um, and so we have no idea what to expect this year in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've made it where every May it will be in Washington, D.C., some, one of the weekends in May. So this year it's this Saturday, May 25th, and it's going to be in Washington, D.C. at the Sylvan Theater. And it's just going to be testimony after testimony of people that left the LGBTQ lifestyles to follow God. And it's just uh, it's just amazing. We have three this year, so they're just they every time it grows. Um, we have DC May 25th. We have St. Paul on Sunday, June 23rd, and then on Saturday, September 14th, we have one in Orlando, Florida. 
So what do, what are your uh, what do you do for full time now? I was thinking I, I know a lot about your activism and how much you tell your story, but what do you actually do from day to day when you're not organizing freedom marches and and, and trying to share uh, your experiences with people? Yes, so I actually wound up getting the master's uh, in history. I was in graduate school and all the stuff with Scarlett was going on. And I wound up teaching history here in Georgia at Emmanuel College. It's a Christian college. And it was so amazing. And I was having these students, and I could be open here. They let me be open and share my story and get to counsel some of the students and just point them in the right direction. It was so cool. And it was the end of last year, or it was about the February of last year in 2018, the Lord just said in my heart that he wanted me to step out of faith and leave my job and my career and do this full-time, and that there were so many people that needed help, and that I needed to to really be in full-time ministry. So I turned in my resignation, and they fully understood. I completed my semester and taught a summer class last year, and then it was pretty much from last summer till now, I've been in full-time ministry. Um, I started my own ministry. It's now being a nonprofit. It's called For Such a Time. And for such a time is the name God gave me for my ministry. And he just said, this is for this time. And to go out and share and to share the truth with people all around the United States. So I'm in full-time ministry. I travel to churches, youth events. I do television shows, radio, media. Uh, I've been in a couple of documentaries. And I just continue to, to blast it out there, what God did in my life and what he's doing to others. So right now, I am doing that full-time. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with all of us. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jeffrey McCall, who was formerly living as a transgender woman and has now uh, been healed, been healed from that experience and moved on with his life. And he now spreads the message of freedom. He now is a living testament to the fact that the transgender ideology is a lie and that real change and real freedom is genuinely possible. We hope you'll join us to hear more stories like this and more interviews that are delving uh, deep into the stories of the pro-life and pro-family movement, stories that you won't get to hear anywhere else. Uh, for other coverage of important events, please head over to lifesightnews.com. You can find previous episodes of this podcast at lifesightnews.com. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and all of the major podcast platforms. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we do hope that you'll join us again next week.